0: That idea of a team contract is an interesting one. How often do we get together, partner with someone or with a small group to achieve something but we don't write out what our goal is, what are we trying to do. It's all kind of that unwritten understanding of, oh, we're going to launch a course and that's
1: it. Yeah, it's more implicit. Yeah, that's interesting. I like that idea. It's a good practical example. There's a lot of implicit things that should be explicit. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, no, nah, no, nah,
2: let's, let's get this in are, writing. Just are you, you suggesting we
0: should write down our unwritten rules?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I might be.
0: You're listening to Instruction by Design your podcast to the art of teaching.
1: In this episode, we are going to explore the concept of teamness and consider how instructional designers may be well positioned to act as positive change agents in fostering a culture of cooperation and collaboration in the higher education environment. First, a bit about the term and a framework we might use to help illustrate the role of teamness in successful teams. To be clear, we are not talking about either the online project management tool bearing the name Teamness or the proprietary indexing instrument published by J. Hall in the mid-1980s. Teamness is not a singularly defined word or concept in the literature, but we can look to the 2008 book Educating Learning Technology Designers by DiGiano, Goldman, and Korost for a well-articulated starting point. They state that the term teamness refers to a sense of being a member of a group with a unified goal rather than a group of individuals with separate purposes who happen to be working on the same project. It incorporates such concepts as team spirit, belonging, and allegiance. This quote does a good job of capturing the heart of teamness at the micro scale. That is, focused within an individual team rather than outward to complex interdependent systems. In a broader sense, really we are talking about the values, norms, and social aspects of a team that can enhance both the experience of being part of a team, as well as the ultimate outcomes of the work done by the team. In short, we might call this team culture. There's a tremendous body of existing research dedicated to numerous aspects of teams and teamwork and the general significance of human cooperation and collaboration in the workforce. Industries with high complexity and high human harm risk, such as the military, aviation, and healthcare, have been strong drivers for research in this area. In 2015, Eduardo Salas, Marissa Shuffler, Amanda Thayer, Wendy Bedwell, and Elizabeth Lazara published an important synthesis paper with a focus on distilling the critical considerations for teamwork and collaboration and providing practical advice related to each of these considerations. The six core processes and emergent states within teams are cooperation, conflict, coordination, communication, coaching-slash-leadership, and cognition. They also describe three influencing conditions, which might be thought of as somewhat external factors that impact the processes and states within the team. These influencing conditions are composition, context, and culture. So we might consider the whole concept of positive teamness to encompass several of these internal processes and states while keeping the influencing factors in sight. In Season 1, Episode 6, we reflected on the concept of team-based course design. Much of the focus there was on the potential benefits and barriers, team member roles, and the task work that teams engage in to complete a course design project. In contrast, teamness in this context is not about the task work, but rather on the ingredients necessary to develop, to think, to act, and to thrive as a team. There are a lot of perceptions and recent public discussions around IDs collaborating with faculty members and interacting across diverse corners of the higher education universe. Sometimes these dialogues get mired in dissecting the inevitable pain points and task or role ambiguities. Unfortunately, one of the collateral effects is a burgeoning discourse around us versus them culture and patronizing listicles filled with tips to work around colleagues rather than work with them. This runs counter to the very fabric and positive potential of teamness. As acknowledged in previous episodes, instructional designers often sit at the nexus of many intersections. Teaching and technology, design and delivery, creative thinking and critical thinking, institutional goals and instructional autonomy, faculty and staff, leadership and teamship. This means that IDs have great opportunities and institutional reach for modeling and promoting a positive culture of teamness, both locally within their own team-based activities and more broadly across organizations. Welcome to this episode of Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. My name is Jeanette Senecal from the Academic Innovation Team at ASU's College of Nursing and Health Innovation. Joining me today are my creative colleagues, Celia Kutritiwa,
0: Erin Kraft, Stephen Crawford.
1: I'm very excited that we have a special guest joining the regular IBD crew today, Babette Kraft. Babette is an instructional designer at ASU's Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College. We are so glad you could join us today. Could you tell us a little bit about your ID role at ASU and perhaps how you came to the field of instructional design?
2: At the Teachers College, I work with two programs currently. So I work with the graduate programs, and I work with the EDD program, and I'm also working with the EdTech program. And then, so how I came to be an instructional designer, is a long story. But I first started out in the education, so teaching ESL in Asia. So I started as a face-to-face instructor, then moved into technology, moved into teaching online all through ESL, and then decided I really liked multimedia, I really liked creating things. So I tried to look for a program that combined my skills and was still exciting and interesting and ended up being instructional design, which I'd never heard of before, by the way. <laughs> like, purely through Google searches was how I discovered the program at the University of New Mexico. And so we actually, we came back uh, from abroad to study at MA, basically. And that's how I got into instructional design.
1: Wow, it's an interesting path. (laughs) Thank you. Well, welcome. We're really glad to have you here today. All right, friends, this is your chance to reject my reality and substitute your own. (laughs) Does the idea that instructional designers are well positioned to act as positive teamness ambassadors resonate with you? Why or why not?
3: Anytime that you're in a position that involves project management, which instructional design often does, you're going to be working with a lot of people, or there's at least that chance that you'll be, like you mentioned, at the intersection of uh, working with a lot of people. So in my position, I might be talking with a librarian and a media specialist and a faculty and a program coordinator and a number of other people. So having to navigate all those different personalities, egos, goals is you know it can be challenging. But then it's an also it's a prime opportunity to promote teamness and hopefully in a positive direction good
4: point I would agree I think instructional designers naturally have to have some sort of personable personality because we are working with so many different roles (laughs)
3: Um, can I play my rant card here I want to play a rant card (laughs) go for it we were supposed to have rant cards I remember so I, I have a virtual one and I'm holding my hand I loved my program at the U- University of New Mexico, the uh, Organization Information and Learning Sciences program, where I learned how to be an instructional designer. However, I really wish they would have offered a course on program management or project management, sorry, as that is an essential skill that I feel like I'm having to learn along the way.
0: That's a very interesting comment because I had a very similar comment in my program uh, when I was doing my master's in education for instructional design and technology, and We had the discussion of, is it appropriate to have a project management course in the master's program or not? And the reason why we chose not to have it was because we were focusing on the master of science of education and not a professional type of approach. So we were essentially on the path to potentially getting a PhD and becoming an instructional design faculty. And so when you think of a lot of traditional graduate programs, it's not to prepare you often to be a practitioner, though we think of that in teachers colleges in particular, that is to prepare you for being a practitioner. So yeah, I, I hear you. And I think it's an important skill and trait and course that should be part of our programs. But at the same time, I also don't think it's appropriate for many of our programs to have it. An
3: MS, what if it's an MA program?
0: Good question to have and a good discussion that those departments should have. You know, But to your question, Jeanette, about you know, does this topic resonate with me? And, and the answer is yes. Um, the idea of teamness is one that I've always been attracted to. It's what brought me to the instructional design field. I really enjoy two aspects of what I do. One of them is I get to learn so many cool things from different people. When I worked in a more centralized unit, I could be talking state migra- migration patterns one hour, and I could be talking history an hour or two later, and then talking health related things later in the day after that. I mean, the fact that I had the ability to learn so many interesting topics from very interesting people And then also the other part is that I really enjoy not having my own agenda, but helping advance somebody else's. The fact that I can help make somebody else be more successful. And that's one of the the passions that I put into it. And it's one of the things I look for in instructional designers is not, is is, when we're trying to hire an instructional designers, are they there to, to make themselves better or are they there to help make somebody else better first?
2: Well, I agree with the nature of teamness, um, being an ambassador, a positive ambassador uh, in the field. Uh, I think just historically, instructional designers, we're supposed to work with subject matter experts. Not that we can't be, but that's generally our role. And so coming out of that, you're normally paired, and you're working towards an end goal, And like Steven said. One of the fascinating things is you get to work with different people from different backgrounds, and your, your goal is to sort of explore what they have to offer and, and put it out there in an online world. Like, the, it's exciting to make new things. And one of the things definitely with the EDD program was seeing, like, whoa, well, what ideas do you have, and can I make that happen? Like, that's the challenge, right? And then working with uh, different types of faculty, and they're all having different ideas, and you get to be that nexus point. Like, hey, I got ideas from you. I got ideas from you. <laughs> and then hopefully you could cross pollinate. But but it's just nice getting all of those ideas from everybody.
3: Cross pollinate like a little
2: bee. <laughs> That's
1: a great term. <laughs> I like
0: that. Yeah. But but you know there are, there are some instructional environments where it's probably not appropriate. We often look at the corporate environments, but it's not limited to just those environments. A lot of the factory type instructional design shops, for lack of a better term, where the instructional designer is more of a project manager and the subject matter expert is truly that, not a faculty member with equal status, but someone who is just giving me your materials and I will make it an online course. As I talk to instructional designers from other institutions, there's a rigid format and you either fit into it or you don't. And the instructional designer is, is the person who makes decisions on what happens next. It's not the faculty member. There is no equality among peers. It is, I'm the project manager, I'm in charge, I'm running this show, I make decisions, not the faculty member. It can be a number of different people who are involved in that so-called team, but in reality, the instructional designer as the project manager is making the final call. And that's, again, that's more common in your for-profit area. But there are some public institutions that are not-for-profit that operate that way.
3: Well, in, in this case, then, in these more rigid, hierarchical environments, uh, is there a necessity for teamness, then? Because it's a hierarchy, so you, you don't need to work together. It's more, it's dictated from the top down. I think it would depend on the culture. Mm-hmm.
1: Perhaps that's a functional organizational point, but there still might be room to build community in the sense of teamness, because at some point, you're not going to be doing everything on your own, presumably. So, there may be still opportunities to inject a certain amount of teamness.
0: Fortunately, the culture here is more of the teamness, and that's what attracts me. Here in higher ed or here at uh, the nursing Here at ASU Mm -hmm. and the College of Nursing.
4: Well, I feel one of the strengths that we have is that we feed off of strengths. We're not all the same. We don't all have the same background. So we, as a team, we kind of feed off of those pieces One of the books that I uh, just read that I really enjoyed reading was Strengths-Based Leadership from Gallup. And what made me enjoy that book is that they talked about being a team and not building your team off of everyone being alike, but building off of everyone's strengths so that you have a little bit of each that can contribute to the overall effectiveness of a team. And I think that's something that we have here and a lot of other places, you know, should kind of about that sometimes when, especially when you're hiring, you're looking for somebody who's like you more than someone who can add to. And I think that contributes to the overall
1: team aspect. I think that's a great connect back to this model that we were discussing of six critical considerations and three influencing factors. In fact, their definition for composition is individual factors relevant to team performance, what constitutes a good team member, what is the best configuration of a team member, knowledge, skills, and attitudes, and what role diversity plays in team effectiveness. So that's a great connection.
0: You know, and there's also a change in higher education where we're recognizing that, again, Like instructional designers, as we've talked about here, not all faculty are alike either. Some are really great at teaching. Some are really great at researching. Some know different aspects of their area better than others. And those others know different aspects better. They're experts in different areas talking about all those differences. And with that being said, we're seeing in various curricula where it's getting harder to have one person teach a course or be the expert who owns a course in a particular curriculum because of the fact that there's so many influencing factors and you're beginning to see a team-based approach occur even among faculty in teaching a course. So it makes sense to have a team that includes multiple faculty, instructional designers, instructional media specialists, and, and so on.
1: That speaks to, I think, the value of using TeamWorks to realize better outcomes, but just to you know keep in mind that it's not only about the task work. It's about the community. It's about the culture. Well, it's a great transition um, to this idea that Salas and colleagues recommend creating a culture that leverages pro-team values and creates a safe environment for voicing ideas and concerns. Can you share an example of how you have or would approach this when working in teams of diverse composition, faculty, college administrators, other players in higher education?
3: There's a fine line there because it's tricky because you have a group of people who each have their own strengths and you have to acknowledge that everybody brings something to the table, right? Then you have to recognize what that thing is that they bring to the table. And then you have to sort of create enough structure so that we can all move towards the same direction and they can utilize their talents to the fullest extent while not being over imposing or too imposing to where you actually restrict their talent. And, you know, like I'm, I have no idea how to find that balance necessarily. As I mentioned earlier, I'm learning this, but that's how I see it.
4: I think to go back to your rant on project management, (laughs) um, you know, that's some, that's actually something that I've been looking at for my own professional development is project management workshops just to get that sort of experience or learning, Is how do you, I'd say, strategize and how do you decide, Okay, this is how we're going to work together? Because someone ultimately, even in any team, needs to kind of take some sort of approach on dispersing roles or deciding what roles there are going to be and how you're going to leverage everyone's strengths. And so, help, having some of that background in project management, I feel can work and can help because it is something that you know maybe you don't have complete training in, so you're just trying to figure it out while you're while you're doing your instructional design work.
3: Build the airplane as you're flying it. Yes,
1: exactly. <laughs> I think that speaks to again one of the considerations in our list of nine of cooperation. Again, defined as motivational drivers of teamwork. In essence, this is the attitudes, beliefs, and feelings of a team that drive behavioral action.
0: You know that's a, a very interesting point that sometimes can be a little difficult for us and I'd love to hear about some of Babette's uh, experiences in her college to give a different perspective <laughs> but as as an associate director, I look at certain projects, and I try to make sure that cooperation is there and make it clear that we have co-creation rights, for lack of a better term. We have the ability to stop something as equally as maybe our faculty partners on a project. Now, when we're talking about a four-credit academic course, there is a faculty governance point that needs to be recognized, and that is the faculty govern the curriculum. And so, therefore, therefore they have a higher calling to respond to. And so they have a a responsibility to ensure that the curriculum is being done as, as they're professionally trained. That being said, we can, still have room for cooperation and we still have room to co-create, but for some of the other projects, it is something as an administrator I look at very carefully and sometimes will set ground rules as a project manager going, this is how we need to approach this. I mean, in your college, Babette, how have you worked with the cooperation and co-creation aspect?
2: Okay, so it can come from from two angles, like a personal angle and then maybe like the culture of uh, the college. One of the strange things I discovered coming back from Asia and living in a culture for eight years that's invested in community is how very striking in contrast our culture is (laughs) (laughs) to that. It's not everyone, right? You have subcultures that are definitely more communal, but the definition of cooperation itself is entirely different. Like you have more of a common goal, say like in China or Japan, than you do necessarily here. Even that common goal is never clearly stated here. And then also dynamics of hierarchy, I often complain about this that at least in Japan they're very clear about hierarchy. Here they tell you there's no hierarchy, but then there is. <laughs> so then I'm having it navigate an in- invisible hierarchy. and I'm like, okay, whatever, that's kind of hard. but I'll set that aside. So I think that aspect definitely influenced me about like what is cooperation? What can it look like if, if, if your goal is toward a communal end? And then it's interesting because we've been shifting, I think, at the Teachers College. So it, I came in at a time of change. So I was one of the first who paired uh, with another ID to work on a program. So before the programs were siloed, uh, one ID over uh, one program, basically. And so then I share. I share both my programs. So I share with Vicky Harmon from EdPlus with the EDD program, and then EdTech. So it used to be Torian Crane, but she left, and then now I'm working with Adrian Wooten. So I'm one of the few who—it's a new dynamic because you're you're two people on one program. So it's you get more creativity, but then you also have to navigate within each other, like your roles and your responsibilities, and who's doing what and who's answering what. So that's unique to me, I think. Although hopefully the college would push more towards sharing because we all need vacations. So <laughs> it's easy when you Good have point. somebody who knows the program who could take over while you're on vacation. I need a vacation. So, but, so there's a small level, like a micro level, right? And there's pairs. So then our college, or at least, and I you'll have to excuse me because I get these divisions, college department things confused. So then it was division one and two were combined now. So we are now, I think we're like the digital, we're like digital learning online digital learning, something like it. So then we have a relatively large, it's not huge, but it's a lot bigger than it used to be. So we have like 14 people now. So then we broke into smaller groups. So these smaller groups have themes or something that they work towards because we found like with larger numbers, it's harder to accomplish things right? It's harder to direct. So, for example, we have a community-oriented team. We have an online-oriented team, which is actually over the group. It's not over online programs. not confusing. That's my team. (laughs) And then we have a student-centered team and a faculty-centered team. So then we have small projects that we're working on that are sort of the goal is to move things forward towards those ends. So then... What we did with those smaller teams was we did, and I got this out of an organizational learning course, so we did team contracts. So we took the time to discuss what are our strengths, what are our weaknesses, what are our goals, where are we going with this? And that was a way of us coming together, I guess, in those small teams. It's a new relationship, new dynamic, and trying to move us towards
0: some common vision. That idea of a team contract is an interesting one. How often do we get together with partner with someone or with a small group to achieve something. But we don't write out what our goal is. What are we trying to do? It's all kind of that unwritten understanding of, oh, we're going to launch a course, and that's it. Yeah, it's more implicit. Yeah, that's interesting. I like that idea. It's
2: a good practical example. It definitely, like noting from Asia to the US, there's a lot of implicit things that should be explicit. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, no, no, let's let's get this in writing. Are you suggesting we
0: should write down our unwritten rules?
2: (laughs) 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 I might be at least an invisible ink. Something that disappears reappears, right? (laughs) Nice.
4: I think out of that, though, the, the biggest thing that I was hearing was the conversation piece. You actually conversed with each other and talked about coming up with a goal, a complete goal, the strengths, the weaknesses. And then I'm sure you're probably figuring out how are you going to reach those goals. And I think that's probably the one big thing that brings a team together, deciding together what those goals are.
2: Yeah, agreed. Like just being able, like you said, to have the conversation, and then you're you're more certain, like it's, that everybody's committed. Like everybody said something. You feel a little more empowered. You feel a little more invested, and then you know, hopefully, you can adjust as it goes.
4: I think that's um, that would also help buy in as well. And I think that's something that helps when you're working with faculty is having those sorts of conversations on what is the ultimate goal that we're trying to get to, especially when you have faculty who might be more used to building something on their own without you. I find that talking to them about what you're trying to get to with those courses right away will help them to say, oh, okay, yeah, you do some you bring something to this table, too. And we can work together. Nice.
1: Well, uh, on the cooperation front, Salas and colleagues recommend a couple practical tips. The first is to build collective efficacy through promoting early wins and to build trust through discussion of past experiences relevant to team goals. All right. Well, moving on to kind of a different way of working within teams. From your perspectives and or experiences, how might the concept of teamness differ in substance or practice when applied to discrete goal-oriented, one-and-done focused teams, as opposed to more open-ended, perpetual working teams?
3: Can you repeat the question, please? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good
1: question. Would you like to phone a
3: friend? <laughs> I like to use a line, a good
1: all right, breaking it down. So if you have a team, as as in some of the examples we've discussed, where you have a specific articulated goal, and when that goal is accomplished, the team may not necessarily continue to work together, versus teams who come together and work perpetually towards a variety of objectives over time. How does it differ? How does teamness differ?
4: I think it's or the it? level of comfort. Those one and done, sometimes it seems that the they're more surface level, just kind of straight for the goal, let's get it done, boom, we're done. Whereas the um, <laughs> more open-ended perpetual working team is you're continuing to build that that collaboration and that relationship piece so that you can continue that, those conversations and continue moving forward. I don't feel that I personally build as much of a relationship with those one and dones. My biggest goal is just to get it done Whereas the other is probably more on the relationship side of it. Like, I'm going to continue to work with this person. So I want to build this relationship so that we can continue to grow.
0: And I want to add a third type of possibility. And that is the one and done that is a little bit more focused from the point. of, And I'm thinking of a specific, specific project where we develop an open educational resource with an interprofessional team. And we came together. We worked through it. It took us six months to actually do it. And there was a lot of moving parts, and when it was done, we we didn't quite celebrate as a team. But when it was done, it was done. We we had the but there were all the relationships were already established beforehand. We already knew everybody who was involved for the most part. It was just coming together in a certain way so that everyone understood where people were coming from and what their roles were. And then when we finished it, I mean, some of us we were able to celebrate and, and acknowledge, hey, this is something that we did. It was now past tense. And maybe we'll do another one like this down the road. Maybe we won't. And those are rare. I mean, and those are, and I appreciate every single one of those opportunities I have. And I think you're right, especially with courses. They may start off as this is a one and done. We're going to get this course launched, but it turns into the maintenance mode and everything else. So, yeah, everything you said. I just see myself
3: looking at my watch like, I only have to tolerate this person for like (laughs) one moment. Just bite your tongue, just get through it. Whereas if you're running the marathon, If this is a continual thing, then you learn to maybe let go of the ego a little bit and you say, you know, I'm going to have to just learn to get along and uh, maybe I can't have my way. Maybe I can't always have my agenda. Right. I think I'd probably push a little bit harder if it's a short term project. If it's long term, I'm thinking more of the relationship with the other people rather than so single mindedly focused on the uh, end product.
2: It's very pragmatic. It's interesting. I would like somehow both of those interwoven. <laughs> ideally, yes. Ideally, <laughs> ideally yeah. Ideally, because there there are times where okay, because I've been building since I started at the Teachers College. I've done nothing but been building programs. So that's a marathon. <laughs> a marathon. So it's like I would love just a wham-bam. Thank you. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, at this point, like I'm done. You know, just give me a win. I need a win. You know. Just to feel good, some new energy. But you know, when I used
0: to live that life, I took a week off from work solely so I could do house projects, <laughs> so I could get a couple of wins and go back and then come back yeah. the following week and pick up where I left off.
2: Exactly. No. Exactly. So it would be nice to have that woven in. Like sometimes you just have a short project and it, and it's over with. Tasks are over with quickly, and then hopefully it was positive. That's even better. You walk away like that was good, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and then move on to to trying to finish a
1: long-term project. So context. Matters. Excellent.
0: Because like, who knew?
2: Who knew?
1: <laughs> you heard it here first. Not us. Not us. <laughs> all right. Last question. My experience with IDs has been that so many of us bring a keen sense of humor and a sense of playfulness to our work. How important is that to fostering positive
3: teamness?
4: Oh man, it's everything.
3: <laughs> yes, we are very funny. <laughs> <laughs> we are not boring at all. <laughs> Humor circuit overload. Uh, okay, so if you can get away with it, then that's that's awesome. I think some people can't handle, and this is my experience as a teacher for many years. And you know, maybe maybe it's the difference between uh, being young and being an adult. I'm not sure, but some people really need structure. They don't know where to draw the boundaries with the joking and playing around. And those types, we we need the the, the strong framework and the and the sort of. Uh, explicit leadership uh, in in, in direction towards the goals. But if you can have a group that can be loose and still be productive and still respect each other and still get the work done on time and trust each other to do that, despite how goofy you may act um, during the meetings, for example, uh, (laughs) that's amazing. And that's something to be cherished, I, I think, because it doesn't seem to be the the rule, but more the exception in my experience.
4: I think that's the balance that you have to create, though, because it, it brings about the feeling of, it's OK. It's not just work. I actually have some fun while I'm there. you know. Whereas if it's all rigid, then it does feel like work the entire time. I talked to a person who one of her goals in growing as in professional development was to have a better sense of humor because she took everything
2: seriously
4: and she realized that that was a weakness that she had in working with others was that she struggled with finding the sense of humor in things.
3: By the end of this project, I will have Is developed a greater <laughs> sense of humor you, <laughs> you, I
1: know
4: That was her like, overall
1: outcome. Can <laughs> you
3: Learning she outcome. towards
4: that systematically? Like how to have a sense of humor? Benchmark, benchmark, benchmark. But I, the fact that she knew it was pretty awesome. You know, And
0: and that's just it. You know, I think not everybody on the team has the same goals, the same desires, the same situation. They they may have a desire to be more social, more interactive, but they don't get to know everybody because they're always busy with childcare or their own personal goals or other things that are going on, or just bad timing. I think of some of the projects I've worked on over the years, and you'd know, you have that long hour, hour and a half meeting where you'd slog through a lot of business, we're all tired, we're all exhausted, but because we planned ahead, there was a happy hour down the street that we'd go to after hours, and we would unwind. And yeah, we would still talk business, but we'd be a lot more relaxed. We'd get to know each other, and it made meetings better because not everybody went to every single happy hour, but those, as people rotated through, we got to find out who you are and and that core group could then keep the peripheral people who couldn't make everything they keep them informed and keep them involved but you you know who the core was and they would know how to take care of the group and i think that's a very important aspect human connection exactly
4: i agree team events
2: always help
3: Says the introvert well
2: as we learned in Japan alcohol greases the social gear so
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> all right hurting everybody back into this episode we have no humor in this group. <laughs> we know nothing about humor and social connection here at all Well, team, I think we've definitely demonstrated our maximum capacity for using the word team today. (laughs) Team. Thanks for waxing both philosophical and practical for the betterment of our audience. I'd like to remind said audience that the materials we referenced today are detailed in the show notes for this episode. And if you'd like to share your favorite anecdotes or tips on teamness, reach out to us on Twitter. Is that enough alliteration for you, Aaron?
3: Yes. (laughs)
1: Thank you for pondering Teamness today with special awesome guest Babette Kraft and the regular IBD crew, Celia Kuchwaitiwa, Stephen Crawford, Aaron Kraft, and myself Jeanette Senecal. As always, we have tremendous gratitude for our producer Ricardo Leon, for without him, our teamness and ridiculous recording flubs would never get out into the wild. Go team. Go
2: team. Go team. <laughs>
1: You can
0: reach us on Twitter at IBD underscore podcast. That is IBD, as in instruction by design, underscore podcast. Or you can email us at instructionbydesign at asu.edu. To find previous episodes, please visit our website at links.asu.edu slash IBD underscore podcast. This podcast was produced by Arizona State University's College of Nursing and Health Innovation.
3: He actually counted. I missed a bunch of it because I did. <laughs> <laughs> but 60, uh, Ooh, 66. You were like team rapid. Um, and uh, 28 of that was just in your... so So what you're saying is we were averaging
0: two teams per minute minimum that's
3: awesome
4: in the word count (laughs) i got 46 (laughs) goals in in the
1: word count well we always have a goal like objectives too but